You can clap for that. That's fine. I don't know why you'd want to clap because you just lost two hours or two minutes of your life. I'm sorry. It may have felt like two hours. But hey, we really do want to encourage you to be a part uh, of the Easter egg hunt. And you can do that in a couple different ways. Uh, If you're able to volunteer and actually come and be a part of that day, that would be awesome. And uh, that's on the 23rd of April. You can sign up at the Connections table. And um, if you can't, but you can bring some candy, that's another way that you can kind of help out. So uh, either of those uh, would be great. Uh, One other thing I want to kind of spotlight for us today is one of our serving ministries, and that is our setup team. Our uh, setup team arrives here uh, each Sunday about 9 o'clock, and they assemble this stage, they hang up the banners, uh, they kind of put together uh, the screens, they make sure all the sound's up, and they put the chair where you're sitting at right now uh, there so you have a place to sit. And uh, as we're kind of ramping up for uh, Easter, we need more people to be a part of that. And so uh, if you've never kind of signed up to be a part of the setup team, uh, we want to encourage you to do so today. And the person who kind of leads this is uh, Eric Gillette. And Eric has a resemblance to this guy on the screen. (laughs) We call him Uncle Eric, but it might be Uncle Sam. And in the back, uh, where's Eric at? Eric? Eric's not even here. Oh, there he is. Stand up, Eric. Go back there to the uh, table where you're going to be so that people can see where uh, they're going to meet you at. And uh, let's all give Eric a hoop, hoop. No, 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 no. Hoop, hoop. There you go. So if you can check out Eric's table, uh, that would be great. And uh, everybody, uh, if you can do that, it's, it's just a once-a-month commitment. You uh, commit for uh, once a month, and, and that's it. Well, at this time, we're going to invite our greeters to come forward, and uh, we're going to receive our morning offering. And uh, this offering uh, is for those of us who call the jar our church home, and we're learning how to give. If you're visiting with us today, though, for the first time, or you're just kind of checking us out, Uh, We don't want anything else except just your Connect card. Uh, We're more interested in getting to know you than uh, we are uh, your money. So keep your money there and uh, just put that in. That will help us. So um, let's go ahead and pray. Well, God, we uh, thank you so much uh, for all that you give uh, to us. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, some of what you give to us is uh, the gift of Uh, finances. And so, Lord, uh, we give these gifts to you, um, not for ourselves, but uh, to honor you and to impact our community. And God, uh, as we come right now, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and uh, to speak through your servant, that we could jump into the flow of where you're going and we could be a part of that. We want to enter into your presence, God, and to hear from you this morning. We thank you already for the way through song that you let us know how much we're loved by you. And now, God, would you challenge us to take that love and to live a life that honors you 
so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we uh, close out our uh, financial series that we've kind of been on over the last uh, four weeks. And uh, today I thought I'd go with a little different approach, and that is that uh, I was just going to share my story, kind of uh, testimony of uh, why I give. When it comes right down to it, why does uh, Chris Bunch give? And uh, you don't have to like my story, okay? You don't have to enjoy it necessarily, but I hope that you'll listen to it so that um, God might do something beneficial to help you uh, in the midst of it. So let's just dive right on in and let's look at our uh, first reason of why I give. And this first reason is um, may sound kind of selfish. Uh, I don't intend it to be that way, but it just kind of came out this way. And the first reason that I give is this, that I like myself better when I give. I really do. I like myself better when I'm a giving person. Now, before I uh, tore my ACL uh, in December, uh, I usually ran about two or three times a week. And when I'd run, I'd run in our neighborhood. And uh, while I ran, uh, there were a couple little kids that uh, remind me uh, throughout the year of uh, how important it is to be hydrated. Because these two little kids have a table, and they live down the road from us, and they sell lemonade or Kool-Aid all the time, and I'll get all the cups kind of lined up, and uh, I'll go out and I'll be running. In fact, they just started yesterday uh, for the spring run. And um, each time that uh, I go out to a run, I'll take a little extra money, uh, put it in my... Uh, running gear, and I'll stop by there, uh, and uh, I'll walk up, and maybe they're selling this for a dime or a quarter, and I'll just take two or three bucks, and I'll just put it right on the table, and uh, I'll say I'll have two drinks, and their eyes get real big, and they're like, wow, and then I ask them for exact change uh, <laughs> after that, and um, at the end of that whole kind of conversation back and forth, and I see their eyes big, I'll just leave a couple dollars right on the table, and I'll go, this is your tip. And their eyes will get real big, and they'll be like, ah! And they run back up every single time, up to their uh, mom and dad. And they're like, dad, mom, you know, there's some strange dude out there giving two bucks, you know, for this uh, lemonade. And uh, the, the funny thing is, I started this a couple years ago, and they actually attend the jar now. Um, so it kind of takes the, the factor away. But, but I, I just like the way that feels. I just like the way that that feels. A couple months ago, I was at Cooper Tire, and uh, I was getting my car fixed. And I walked in, and I don't know if it was like Girl Scout Saturday, but like everywhere you went, you know, a couple months ago, there were Girl Scouts everywhere. You want a cookie? You know? And so um, I walked into Cooper Tire, and there was this table, and there was this little brownie, I think is what they call them. And, um, and her mom was there, and, and she just kind of had her head down, and she had glasses on, she had a little hearing aid, and she just looked really sad. And so I walked up to the table, and 
I said, um, so what's the most that you've sold to anybody today? And the little girl didn't even say anything to me, and the mom said, well, it's been pretty slow, to be honest. Um, but we've sold, you know, several to the guys here that work at Cooper and different people, but, um, you know, one or two, maybe three or something like that. And uh, so I said, well, I'll have six. And I don't even like cookies, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, she starts stacking them up, and this little girl's face came up, and she just got all kind of, you know, bright-eyed. And uh, she's like, yes, you know. And uh, they took the cookies they gave them to me and when I was leaving. And it, it was funny, while I was waiting in the waiting room, this little girl, she'd just keep on going back to the bathroom, back and forth, and she'd just look at me like this the whole time. And that was awesome. And uh, that's why I give. I mean, it feels so good uh, to be able to do that. And I think part of the reason why I'm able to do that is because I'm pretty disciplined in my wage earning. And I have some discretionary funds. And one of the things that I really enjoy is that sometimes when there's needs, maybe with people here in the church or somewhere else, that I'm able to give that away. And it reminds me that I'm not a taker. I think if there's any label that I would hate to have more than anything else attached to Chris Bunch is that I was a taker. Um, I mean, I, I want to be a giver. And uh, I would rather be known as a giver than a taker. I really would. I'd rather be known any day of the week uh, as a giver than a taker. And I think about how, how good it just feels to give. And the reason it feels good is because it identifies me with the God of heaven and earth who in his essence is giving. The most famous uh, scripture verse in the entire Bible is in John 3.16. And uh, it says this. It says, For God so loved the world that he, what? That he gave. That he gave. It's so fundamental to the character of God that he is a giver. And each time that I give, I identify myself once again with him. I'm like, ah! That's why it feels so good. And when I connect all the different dots of my life, when it comes to giving, I'm reflecting, when I give, I'm reflecting on the very nature of God. I'm a reflection of God when I'm a giver. That's why I feel better. That's why I identify myself with Him. So the first reason why I give, basically, is I just like myself better uh, when I give. Here's the second reason why I give, and uh, this deals a little bit more with um, why I give to Christian causes, why I give to uh, the church, why Jennifer, my wife and I, why we sponsor World Vision uh, kids, and uh, some other reasons uh, or other things why we're passionate to give. It's because the one I surrendered my life to instructs me to give. The one who I've surrendered my life to instructs me to give. Now, I know that every single Sunday when people come to the jar, that there are some people that are in a searching process. That's great. You're trying to figure out whether or not this Jesus Christ that we talk about is one that you would surrender your life to. 
And uh, you're in this search process, and that's what I love about our church, that people can come wherever they're at, and that they can take the time that they need to search within that. And maybe you haven't made a decision yet, but, um, but I have. And I honor your searching process and what you're doing, but, but I've already made that decision for myself And I've come out on the other side as one who wants to surrender my entire life, all that I have, to the one who is the creator of all things. And I surrender in full to Jesus. And he's the one, because now that I've surrendered my life to him, he's the one that guides my life. And so he says things like this to me. He says, give. He says, give. I mean, you want to follow me? You want to bear my name? Then give. I want, to, I want you to be known as a giver and not a taker. And Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. He also says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, take the resources that you have and spread them around so that there would be an eternal significance in people's life. That you're storing up treasures in heaven. And Jesus said these words. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I want you to know that growing up, I was not always a giving person. In fact, most of the time, I was a tightwad. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. My uh, sister, who's older than me, Lisa, uh, one day came to me and she asked for a loan. You see, uh, my dad had gone to her room and said that uh, all the clothes that were on there needed to be picked up. And she's like, no, I'm not going to pick them up. And so this happened, went on for, you know, weeks and weeks. And pretty soon you couldn't see the floor, you know, it's just clothes everywhere. So my dad got these big, hefty, uh, you know, trash bags. He put all the clothes in these bags. He took them to his office and uh, actually just kind of locked them up. And uh, my sister Lisa comes one day, and she has nothing to wear. She's like, Dad, I don't have any clothes to wear for school or anything else. I said, not my problem. You know, I told you to pick up the clothes, and you didn't do it. And she said, well, how can I get them back? He said, well, it's a dime per clothing, per piece of clothing. Now, Lisa didn't have a dime to her name. But she came to her spiritual brother, one who followed Christ and was giving and caring and and said, Chris, can you give me a dollar? And I'll never forget this, eight years old. I said, yeah, 50% interest. I made out good, you know, I really did. And I just kind of continued to be this tightwad because, see, I had the impression that all the resources and money that I have is mine. And I went through this whole life like this until I met my wife. And my wife, Jennifer, is so much more giving than I could ever be. And she started teaching me how to be a giver. And even when I became a pastor, I wasn't that giving. I talked about that last week, how, you know, we really struggled to get on this plan with God. But at the age of 24, I finally kind of thought to myself that I had the question, am I really going to take this 
thing serious, what it means to be a Christ follower. Was I just going to be a casual Christian? Was I just going to be kind of a conscientious, kind of oriented kind of Christian? Was I going to be a convenience-oriented Christian? Was I going to be a once-a-week kind of Christian? And during that same time period, when I'm struggling with all of these questions, there was a popular bumper sticker uh, that came out that said, uh, God is my co-pilot. There it is. Even give you a plane to make you think, wow. you know. And I remember this bumper sticker coming out during that time, and I thought, yeah, I really like this. God is my co-pilot. I mean, I'm driving or I'm flying, whatever, you know, and God is right beside me and he's caring for me. He's taking care of me. He's, he's meeting my needs. And during the same kind of searching time, I remember uh, one Sunday uh, going to a church where there was an African-American pastor and, and he stood up and he said, how many of you like or how many of you have one of those bumper stickers that says, God is my co-pilot. People are raising their hands and like, amen, you know, and I'm, I'm with them. I'm like, I don't really have one, but I want one, you know. And, and uh, then all of a sudden he said, well, that's the dumbest bumper sticker you could ever put on your car. And the church just got deafening quiet. And then he went on and he said, God isn't your co-pilot. He's your only pilot. And he said, I don't care if I'm in first class, second class, or in the cargo area. As long as I'm on the plane and he's the pilot, I'm good to go. And I remember writing these things down. That he said, the problem is, is that many of us want God to sit right beside us in the front seat. But he's in the front seat and you're in the back seat. And he said, I want God to be in the front seat. And I want to be in the back seat. Because my life is so much better when I'm not co-piloting this thing called life, but I'm actually in the back seat. And I remember on that day saying, God, I want you to be the pilot. I don't want to be. You be in the front seat, I'll be in the back seat. And wherever you want to fly, God, I'll fly with you. And as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, if God called on the intercom of that plane, as the pilot does sometimes, and he said, Passenger Chris, I want you to grow in love, then I said, God, if you want me to, help me... I'll do it. I'll grow in love. And one time, you know, that same kind of intercom came and said, I want you to tell the truth, Chris. I don't want you to lie anymore. I don't want you to tell half-truths. I'm like, I'm doing it. And he said, I want you to help the poor and the oppressed. I'm like, God, I'm on it. And he said, I'm in the front seat, Chris. You're in the back seat. Tell me what you want to do. Do you want me to lead your life? And 
And part of what I've learned of what it means to be a follower of Christ is that when you choose to be in the back seat, which is the best seat to be in, that you also have to decide everything, my resources and my money, that in the same way that there is a percentage of my earnings, the threshold of kind of a 10% mark that we just give called the tithes. And like I said, it took me a while to get on this. It took me five years, even as a pastor, to finally get to that point. But as I began to live the way God wanted, I stopped being a tightwad. And the reason I give is not because I feel obligated, but I want to make God's name made great. And that the world would be impacted by that. Ezekiel 36.26 says this, I'll give you a new heart. Put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. Most of my life, up until the age of 24, I had a hard stone heart when it came to my money and to my resources. And at the age of 24, what happened was God just took that away. And He showed me that this was not so important. And money, since that moment when I was 24, really hasn't been that important. He kind of took the power out of it. And what he did was he gave me greater values and greater ways to live my life than the almighty dollar. And then I started practicing what we talked about last week, kind of this 10-10-80 plan, where the top 10% we kind of give to God, 10% we save, and then we live off the 80% or maybe even less. And I'll tell you what, if you were to ask people before I was 24 that I was living this kind of way, they'd been shocked. There's a couple of guys that have connected back into my life again, and they've actually started coming to church the last uh, couple of months. And they're like, dude, I never remember you being like that. You wouldn't even pay for Mountain Dew, you know? And I didn't. But when it was 24, all of a sudden I just kind of said, no. And you know what? I never kicked or stomped or fussed. I never felt like it was unfair. I never got mad at God. I never felt like it was some tax, something heavy that I had to give to Him. Because God put a brand new order, a new value system in my life, and He said, Chris, this is what I want you to do. And I just said, You're the pilot. You're in the front seat, I'm in the back seat, you fly the plane. I'll do what you want. Now this is just my story. I've known many other people that uh, this becomes a hard thing and I have compassion for that. But uh, sometimes it's difficult. It's, uh, it just came easy for me once, once that happened, once I hit 24. I remember uh, talking to a guy uh, here at the JAR who uh, came to Christ and he was uh, fairly affluent. And I just kind of set him aside one time, and I just asked him, I said, are you giving the full tithe? Are you giving the fullness to the things of God and to the impact of our community, to the church that God called you to? And he said, that's never going to happen. 
And I kind of looked at him and I said, well, why? Why is that? And I'll never forget this. He said, I make too much money. And I thought in my head at that time, do you want us to pray that your income would go down? You know? It was just inconceivable from him that he could trust God and obey him to climb in the back seat rather than being in the front seat and allow God to be the pilot of his life. And I felt sad for him that day. I really did because he was, he was getting choked out. Well, that's kind of the second reason why I give because the one I've surrendered my life to um, instructs me to give. Here's the third reason why I give. I made a covenant not only with God, but with you guys. And I'm not talking about visitors or maybe you're checking this whole thing out, but for those of you who've made a commitment uh, that this is your church and you've kind of partnered with it. Um, Because one thing that Jennifer and I uh, really felt ever since we started the jar, that you guys are family to us. You are. Um, We don't see our families a whole lot although now my parents are coming here, and so that's a little bit better. But you became family to us. And so the events that go on in your life, we want to be a part of that. And I just made a covenant that uh, 10% of whatever God would choose ever to kind of give me, that I would uh, give it here to the jar for the impact that God could make. And uh, I was going through uh, our old uh, file where we have all of our uh, kind of partner, membership kind of covenants, and uh, uh, Jennifer and I actually signed this one together uh, several years ago. There's like stains on it. It's all kind of changed a little bit. But um, I looked at this, and uh, several years ago when we first kind of started the life course, um, I, I made a commitment. These are things I committed to, to serve the mission of our church to safeguard the unity of our church, to support the integrity of our church, and to share the responsibility of our church. And part of the responsibility that I committed to in this covenant was to, to give or to work towards a 10% uh, tithe, and it's just there. And the reason I signed that was because I wanted you guys to know you could count on me. That no matter how much more money God would ever bless us with, and with Jennifer being a physician, all of a sudden our income changed overnight by about uh, you know, three times. And it did not change what we would give to God because it was all from His hands anyways. And I'm just kind of wired in a way, and my wife is too, that covenants matter to us. And if we make a vow, if we make a commitment, we're going to follow through with it. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, When you tell God you'll do something, do it now. God takes no pleasure in foolish gabble. Vow it, then do it. Far better not to vow in the first place than to vow and not pay up. And I'll tell you what, this was just driven into me as a kid, and marriage vows matter to me. And when we dedicated our kids right here in in front of this stage, when we dedicated our children, that mattered to me. And the friendships that I have with people, it matters to me. 
You see, folks, this partner covenant is more than just a paper and something that you just signed. But it matters to me because it tells me that I'm committed to you guys. I'm committed. And I just want you to know that as I stand here, I will never deprive this church of the minimum kind of thing that God calls us to give. Well, that's just kind of my story. Here's the fourth reason why I give. I really believe in the vision of our church. I do. Um, I really believe in the vision of this church. This week I drove by the house where we actually started the church a few years ago. And on January 12, 2003, we met in uh, this house and there were six people that uh, kind of met there. And I remember on that very first night, I was scared that no one would show up except my wife, you know, because she had to be there. Um, but uh, people actually, two other people that we didn't know actually showed up. And I remember on that very first night, I said, we are going to be a church that breaks the mold. We're going to love our community into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And people who have been far from God or disconnected from the church, that we are going to be the type of church that loves on those people no matter what. And I was so pumped up that first night. And there have been very few nights since then that I don't wake up and I'm excited about what God's going to do with this place that we call the jar. I mean, when I think of it, it just makes me want to be more generous. Because I know it's God's vision, and He's directing, and He's flowing. And uh, this week, I was just thinking about, just, just from Saturday to Saturday, what's gone on in our family. Last Saturday, there were over 20 people that got together to, build a, to begin the process of building a habitat home. And I've heard so many stories of people that were like, man, I was so glad I was there, and I gave up my time, but it was so worth it. And then on Sunday, we collected a couple truckloads of food, and uh, that food just got given to people in our community, no strings attached, just to show God's love. And several people got fed because of this vision. And then last Saturday, or last Sunday night, uh, Impact, our middle school ministry, actually moved to the Northwest Y. And there were 14 kids there because we've outgrown any house. And so all of a sudden, there's kids that are coming and their lives are being touched. And on Monday, our women's uh, Celebrate Recovery uh, step study group got together. Women who are trying to get over the hurts, habits, and hang-ups of their life to be real about it, to work on their brokenness and say, you know what, God can do something bigger and better in my life. Two small groups met on Monday that people were growing in. On Tuesday, we had over 40 partners uh, come together and just tell stories about life change that's happened in people's lives here in the jar. On Wednesday, more small groups got together and they met together to love people into a relationship. Last, this past Thursday, Celebrate Recovery met and there were uh, 
you know, people, we, we about doubled in size on our Celebrate Recovery folks. And people were coming and they're just working through some of their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. On Friday, there were some people that went to uh, the jail and actually visited some inmates. And then yesterday, there was a group of people that uh, got together to talk about the trip to Mexico and how we're going to reach out and love on some people who uh, are disconnected uh, and are the least of these in our society. And then yesterday afternoon, there were over a hundred people that came to uh, be a part of our bowling day, that we were just reaching out and inviting people to come and, and have fun. You know, that's one of the things I love about the jar, too, is that our thought has always been, we want people to know that God isn't angry. He's not mad at you. He's not ticked off. Actually, God likes to bowl, you know? He's got like one of those goofy shirts, probably, even. You know what I mean? And folks, when I see change lives from a week, that's just one week. It's very easy for me to give generously. And when I think about the vision of JAR 2.0, and all of a sudden God's already working in some ways, that all of a sudden it's easy to be generous. It's easy to invite people. You know, those cards that we had today, uh, for you to invite someone to Easter, don't just throw them away. It may be the life-changing thing for somebody. Well, here's the fifth reason. I want to be an example to my children. I really do. I want to be an example to my children. I was trying to figure out how much influence my parents had in my life around this whole area regarding uh, giving. And uh, I just came down with two words. A lot. I mean, they had a lot of influence. Every Sunday morning in the Bunch household, back in the uh, 70s and 80s, um, what would happen is uh, we would get up for church. Everybody had to go till you were at least 18. It was kind of like uh, the opposite of joining the army. You know, I mean, like you were you're in the Bunch army until 18. And uh, my parents would get up and they would just uh, they'd put money on the counter, and all of us would file by the kitchen counter and. And they'd say, now, here's the offering for you, Lisa, and here's the offering for you, Tim, and here's the offering for you, Chris. Make sure you put it in the offering plate, you know. (laughs) But the reason they did this is because they wanted it to be known in our family that we were a giving family, and that when it came to church, everyone gave. We all gave. And there was just this physical act of taking something and and feeling like I was a giver as a small kid that was just so important uh, for me to do this. And wherever I go now, if I go to a church that's 10 people, or it's a church of 10,000 people, or we're on vacation somewhere and we go to church, or we go to some family or friend's church, when uh, that offering comes around, I'm reminded that God has called me to be a giver. And uh, that's what I want to be. My parents taught me how to be a giver, and now my wife Jennifer and I, we're trying to teach our two girls, uh, Jordan and Shiloh, how to be givers. And, you know, you get these thoughts as parents sometimes, nostalgia, 
Like, you can go back and just relive exactly what you experienced as a kid, and it'll happen that way. Not so much. But uh, a few weeks ago, I got the girls, and I said, you know, I put the money on the counter, and I brought the girls, and I said, girls, you know, this week when we go to church, we're, we're going to give because everybody gives. And they both kind of look up. They can't even reach the counter. Their hands are just up there. And so I, I take it down and I give it to, to both of them. And immediately Shiloh puts it in her mouth and swallows it. Okay, she didn't swallow it, but she did put it in her mouth. Okay? And she puts it in her mouth and Jordan's kind of looking at it like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, you know. And it just all went away. You know, I try. I really try. Um, so I would suggest to parents, wait till they're in kindergarten maybe until they understand don't put that in your mouth, you know, and it has some worth. But I really want to teach my girls how to be givers because I really think that there's something profound when you teach young people how to give. So that's another reason. Uh, there's one more reason. It's number, uh, what is it? Six. Six. Wow, that was loud. That must be your favorite point, right? The last one. Uh, Last reason why I give, I give because I want to hear God say, well done. Well done, Chris. You know, over the course of my life, I've tried to figure out who in my life, who is it that I want to impress? Whose applause means something to me? And early on, to be quite honest, it was my parents and my teachers. I lived for their applause. And then when I got into high school and college, it was women's applause, you know, that I wanted. And then when I started pastoring the first church that I pastored, to be quite honest, I wanted the applause of the church. But when we started the jar, before it even started actually, when I was just kind of uh, by myself, Um, thinking of this dream. God asked me, when it's all said and done, Chris, whose applause do you want? Whose commendation do you want? And I sorted it all out, and I realized, folks, and I mean this, that I do not need men's applause. I don't need your applause. I'm grateful for encouragement and those things, but... It does not wake me up in the morning to hear somebody say, oh, great job, Chris, or whatever there. I want the applause one day of the one who created me, that he would look down upon me and he would say, well done. You see, I'm turning 40 in June. I know it's hard for some of you to believe I look so strapping, but... But one of the things I've uh, realized is that materialistically... I don't need one more thing, and one more thing is not going to make or break my life. I live for the day when God will look at me. And He will say, Well done, Chris. You followed me. I ask you to love me, and you grew in love. I ask you to serve the church, and you served the church. I gave you some material resources to manage, and you managed it well. Well done, Chris. Well done. 
And that means so much to me. And that really is the reason what I'm living for. Today, you have to decide who it is that you are living to hear applause from and what commendation you want to receive from. Who is it that floats your boat? And I'll just be honest, for me, God floats my boat. He's the captain and I'm his first mate or the guy in the bow or wherever God wants me on the boat, I'm willing to do that. And I'm telling you, man, I want to be right before God. I really want a legacy to be known from me. That Chris Bunch, you can say a lot of things about him, good, bad, but he was a giver, not a taker. You know, 2,000 years ago, uh, the ultimate gift giver came in uh, Jesus Christ. And he gave everything he had. Everything. And he did so because he loved each one of you and he loved me so much that he said, whatever it takes, I'll give it all. You see, sometimes people get the mistake that Jesus was so overwhelmingly sad and upset and angry and I don't know as he's carrying the cross but the reality is as Jesus was taking the cross you know who he had on his mind you and it was painful and it was difficult but as he's carrying the cross he said they're worth it the Bible says this you know you were not bought and made free from sin by paying gold or silver which comes to an end the blood of Christ saved you the blood of of great worth, and no amount of money can buy it. The purchase of your life and my life was costly. The cost was God's one and only Son who said, I will give all that I have, even my very life, for them. And God did this because He loves you. And there is no one in this world, if you're trying to find love from someone, No one in this world will ever love you as much as Jesus. No one. And the reason is because if you were the only person on planet earth when he went to the cross, he would have died just for you. He wasn't into numbers. He was into one number. You. And so there are four tables that are around us. And here in just a second, we'll go and we'll share in communion. And when you go to... uh, the actual tables, you can just break off a piece of bread like this and dip it in and take and eat. And if you have a relationship with Jesus or today, you know, you're ready to take that step, these tables are not my tables. They're not the jar's tables. They're Jesus' tables. And the great gift giver has his arms wide open and says, Come. And when you come and you take that, I want you to know that all of your sins are forgiven. Whatever you confess, whatever you give to him, he says they're gone. As far as the east is from the west, all of your sins are forgiven. And what I'd like you to do is just take a few moments right now, quietly, between God and yourself, nobody else, just between the two of you, 
And you share with God anything that's been a distraction in your relationship with Him. Tell Him the things that you're sorry for. Because God is for you. He is not against you. And Derek and the band are going to kind of lead us in a song as we're doing this about, about faith. Asking the great gift giver to give us faith. You know, I was thinking about this week that every single time I walk to one of these tables, it takes faith. It takes faith to believe that those things in my life that are really messed up and screwed up, that he really will. He'll just wipe them away. He'll just take them away. And I have to go with a surrendered heart to that, though. I can't go with a prideful heart or just through the motions kind of thing, but I have to go with a heart that's open and receptive and surrendered. Here I am in my brokenness, God. Here's where I'm at. I surrender to you. So let's just spend some time connecting with the one who knows you best and loves you most. And then when you've had that moment that you could just go and uh, take those steps of faith and receive God's great gift.